0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: Hi, I'm Jamie Lucas from Barron's Core, and you're listening to Dane Baptiste questions everything. My question is, what's the most annoying color? Okay, here comes the show. And remember, question everything.
2: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Dame Baptiste's Questions Everything, a podcast where myself, comedian, writer, and occasional actor Dame Baptiste, my producer friend Howard Cohen, aka the bonjour, and a mix of a very special multilingual guests ask the questions that need to be asked, and we are talking everything from
1: we are talking everything from Jamie uh, from Baron's Court's question: What's the most annoying colour, Dane? What? A, what a strange. Question. It is a strange question, but, you know, we, we question everything here. I'd say indigo because it just creates It's a bit of a complicated one to define, isn't it? I think that's a good point. I feel like indigo
2: is, is a hard one to define, but it's more the fact that I think it's so hard to replicate normally. Because even if you mm. buy something in this indigo or navy, a few washes in and it no longer holds that same colour. So blue in general is probably the most elusive colour because it's one of the ones used, it's the hardest one to make. But then it's so, but then at the same time, it's so abundant in nature. So maybe it comes from jealousy. And it's also my favorite color. So I'd say indigo or navy because they're the hardest ones to keep around.
1: Well, there you go, Jamie. And uh, suffice to say, on this podcast, we ask and answer all the questions, don't we, Dave?
2: Absolutely. No question is too red hot or too blue and depressing. And if you do like the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify and you'll never miss an episode. Or you can subscribe to us on ACAST, the world's biggest podcast network, where you can hear all of the very special questions being asked and answered by our very special guests. With that being said, on today's show is a stand-up comedian, writer and actress from East London. She was the 2019 winner of the Funny Women Award, only five months after her first ever stand-up gig. And on the back of that amazing success, she has gone on to feature on TV programs such as Jonathan Ross's Comedy Club, As You're Entitled, and Yesterday, Today and the Day Before, and many more. Please welcome to the show, mother and mother lover, that is Laura Smith.
3: Thank you very much. Thank you very much. What an intro. Thank
2: you. I hope it was good. Did we cover most things, I hope?
3: Yeah, it's all
2: true. It's all true. I can't deny any of it. Nice, nice. good to see someone with a uh, public platform telling the truth. Yeah, in these yeah. times, first of all Laura <laughs> uh, so
1: we very much appreciate that's that you, no, any, uh, any colours that you don't you got an issue with Laura any colours that give you ball ache <laughs>
3: well oh, I was going to go right in with white but I don't want to get too political but the best more like why is there so many things that call themselves white and when you're trying to paint a house
1: and you
3: <laughs> <laughs> like we're going from greens to beiges and blues and it's like oh and and then it's just you know is it a color is it a spectrum of color is
2: it exactly a combination of color really howard i guess color itself is very difficult to define because mm-hmm. it's just about the wavelength at which the light is uh, bending so Colours can be very different And how we all perceive colours Very different Like different species Are able to see more colours Within the visible light spectrum Than we're able to see So hues and tones Can change considerably So
1: Mm. I think Laura's got The right answer really White is the most annoying one yeah, I tell you the other thing that pisses me off. I'm wearing a white T-shirt, right? And I find it very stressful wearing oh. anything white because those stains, yeah, those stains won't. Those yeah. stain. But exactly, it's exactly as Laura says that.
2: Especially when people say I don't see colour, I'm like, but let me catch you fighting Dulux and see what happens to you. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, normally people who say they don't see colour have multicoloured hair, and you know, I've seen in most like if you go to most hair shops or even go to Superdrug, they have like, you know twelve different types of blonde. 14 types of brunette, and so obviously, clearly, clearly understand how color works.
3: It's insane, isn't it? I can get like know, bolognese sauce on a white
1: t-shirt when I'm not even eating bolognese sauce. Um, It's probably time for a question, isn't it, Dane, as the format of this show dictates? Absolutely, Laura. As our very
2: esteemed guest, we'd like to invite you to ask the first question, which can be any question you like, whether it's been keeping you awake at night or being at the forefront of your mind in the morning. And we'd like to discuss your question for about 15 minutes and some change. Then Howard, my co-host and producer here, would like to pose a question to you. Would you like to discuss for 15 minutes and some change and then in a bizarre twist of fate I would also like to pose a question to you that we can all discuss for 15 minutes and then we would like you to tell our listeners where they can find out about your works past, present and future How does that sound?
3: Yeah, it sounds really good do you know what? I've got a bit of a... Can I make it very comedy-linked?
1: You can do whatever you like. You, do you can do whatever what? you like, mate.
3: It's a bit heavy. I'm a bit... Obviously, I'm an up-and-comer. I've done good things in my short time. But I'm an up-and-comer. I'm still scrabbling. You know, I'm on that little hustle. Mm. So if if a promoter gets hold of me and be like, oh, I book you on for this gig, there's only one word coming out of my am available. Yes. You know what I mean? I'm like, mm-hmm. yes. And then often what will happen. It's, good. it's,
2: like, it's London a work ethic, isn't it?
3: Yeah, of course. You hustle, hustle. And then what, yeah. what happened, then I'll get sent the promo for it and I'll notice that either it's very white or there might be a dubious character on it. And I'm yeah. I'm not I'm gonna say it. I don't I don't think I've got the clout to be like, actually I bow down. Mm-hmm. But I never ever ask at the point of booking. I don't know whether you're a little bit more, you know, long in the tooth a bit more clout than me, a maybe a few more morals. I never say what's the lineup, what's the diversity. I never say mm-hmm. who's on there. I don't. I don't feel the space to. And but at the same time, I'll have a little bit. of mm, – You know, when I'm seeing, yeah. you know, at best they've got little white cis het me there, like they're still mm. female mother. And I, I, I suppose the question is, at what point? At what point does it serve, and do you have the power to say? I mean, it's always the right time to do the right thing, but you know, it's not that I care about even being a problem to promoters or producers or anything like that really because you find that you find your tribe anywhere and you end up working in that same but you know at what point do you pull out on things and are you in a position and at what point in up and coming career do you say to yourself, you know, well actually I'm quite uncomfortable with that lineup or who else is on the bill or do you have um you know people from different communities represented properly? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because yeah. I'm just like, yes, and yeah. then I see, you know what I mean? So I thought that would be my question. I'm diversity
1: in comedy, hey, the well, yeah, but, uh,
3: Diversity, which is, I, of course, a given. But at what point do you then question it? And, yeah,
2: oh, I guess when, when you fulfil your, what you consider to be a moral obligation in the industry. Yeah,
3: because I yeah, never no, do. And then all of a sudden I'm promoted to it or there's someone that's like a bit of a character and I'm like, oh, mm. do I pull out? Or I find myself not sharing the promo work because other people have got issues. I don't know, it can get your political quick. I, I run a night for about three seconds on my street and I realised how bad I wasn't promoting. And then I, I had booked people that caused other people to pull out. And I was like, mm. well, this is hearsay. And, you yeah. know, or, or it all became, I couldn't believe how quick it became political. And I thought, mm. oh, okay. Do, do, are we ever excused from politics, I suppose, whether I just say, oh, well, I'm just yeah. an open micro. Is that a bit heavy?
1: No, no it's beautiful. All. It's great Dane is locked and loaded and ready to go. Yeah, yeah.
2: I mean, it's a a great question. And, you know, it's it's a question that I'd expect you to ask as you're uh, beginning the burgeoning career in comedy. Um, I don't think there is one unified theory of moral conduct within comedy Mm. um, because um, obviously you are making the transition from show performing to being in show business. And the part of that being business is that, you know, you can't necessarily, um, you're not always able to scrutinise the uh, moral disposition of the people you're working with, like whether or not we'd like to acknowledge it, especially as being a cishet man myself, I'm sure that I have shared the stage with and shared green rooms with uh, people of all types who have uh, committed acts that would be morally objectionable. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm sure I did the same thing when um, I was working in an office. You know, Mm. it's it's very interesting a lot of the time where uh, you go to a night and I'm sure you've seen it yourself where the uh, compare is trying to find out the uh, occupations of the audience. And a lot of times when someone says, oh, well, I'm a banker, I was like, ooh, whereas they say, oh, I'm a nurse and everyone goes, yay. And for me, I, I'm very dubious of the fact that we think we can determine somebody's uh, moral disposition based on their occupation. And I think um, that can be a real problem because that would, be, that would suggest that everybody who works in the medical profession is a virtuous person and everybody who works in finance is uh, has no morals. When we know in most cases that's not completely true and there are a lot of people who are, most of us are quite moderate and we all, and even morality itself can be very subjective. And in a lot of time, morality is a commodity that not everybody's able to afford, you know?
3: Yeah. This is, what, I mean, I mean, like, uh, have you ever, I mean... From the virtue of the fact that you'll be on the lineup, you know there's a black guy on the lineup. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have you ever kind of said, "Oh, is there is there you know anyone from the LGBTQIA yeah. community on this lineup? This mm-hmm. seems very male. This lineup. Have you ever have you ever done that in your position where you are now at any point? Yeah.
2: I think I think more recently, I think you know, yeah, and it is a weird one. And the other thing to remember as well is that comedy is a very solitary art form, and you are aware. And I suppose for some people, there is that kind of insecurity and fear that if you do start turning work, there is someone who's going to be happy. Who isn't as discerning as you? Who could fill your position? Yeah. And then there's the idea that you don't want to be stigmatized as being difficult to work with, especially as a woman, where you might be considered a diva, and then you're feeding into a completely other narrative where you can be damned if you do and damned if you don't. Um, I think in that in that instance, um, what I have I tried to do really is try to demonstrate the viability of someone that looks like me just through uh, example. So lead by example. So rather, yeah, just chill and do my thing. So rather than just, I guess, rather than grandstand and be like, I'm not going on stage until you start adding more diversity to your lineups. What I tried to do then is maybe perform to the point where it means promoters and members of the industry have to understand that having people like me are indispensable to you having a good product and just to further extend on that. So when I got into comedy, Um, I did my debut in Edinburgh, for example. Uh, I was the first Black British person to be nominated for an award in Edinburgh's history. Now, that obviously has its own uh, intrinsic and individual kind of like uh, successes and plaudits. But what, in terms of business, what I knew that also meant was that for all of the agencies who turned me down, all of the agencies who said they already had a Black guy on their roster, all these agencies who had never really seen any longevity or any kind of benefit of investing in developing uh, whether they be black or brown acts, it meant that the landscape of comedy had to change because I yeah. went on not only to be a Edinburgh nominee, but then I went on to have, you know, a relatively successful run of having my own sitcom as well. Which, and then becomes the first black British sitcom to be on BBC screens or to be on British television written by a black person with a black cast in two decades. Yeah. So again, it's...
3: Just a little bit
1: of a... Yeah. and it, look, Dane's being as always, uh, you know, uh, humble. Dane changed the game yeah. in this industry in terms of how people were looking. I mean, look, the the, the diversity uh, ethics was changing at the same time, but Dane's emergence helped helped massively shift perspectives yeah. and you know opened up a lot of doors for people. And I think I think the the bit that is interesting that I thought Dane touched upon is is this idea that. That his what is his obligation or anyone's obligation to tell someone whose job it is uh, that they're doing their job wrong, yeah. right? Because that's kind of what we're talking about. Is like the idea that you turn up. I mean, I'm doing something at the moment, right? It's a very interesting scenario where we're doing this. Dane's coming along to do it. We're doing this uh, different quiz thing, podcast thing, and um, you know, people need to be film fans to come on the show, right now that creates some issues because you know what? Not everyone's a film fan and I only have so many people from different backgrounds to ask on the show and you know what? If you don't like film, you're not coming on the on the show.
3: I want these Uber geeks and, on, my, on this wavelet. And the idea it? that
1: someone would be like, well, you know, because across the series, I very much, know already from the people we've asked on, it will be a diverse mix of people and that's great. But at the same time, it could not be because it could be that loads of people just don't happen to like films so I can't get them on the show. So there are, I think, like, it's got about being conscious. I think yeah. that's got to be an element of it, right, Dane? You've got to be, be awareness. And the thing is, in in this country,
2: that that lack of awareness has been able to prevail for a number of different reasons. A, because, you know, you also have to kind of uh, contextualise the layout of comedy with the way social media is, that in certain parts of the country, even if somebody wanted to have a more diverse lineup, it just wouldn't necessarily be possible just mm. to do regional and logistic reasons, whereby, you know, I've probably done it, but I would say, you know, for a lot of black and brown comics or comics based in metropolitan cities, going somewhere like, you know, Cumbria or going towards the Lake District to perform comedy or do open mic, it doesn't seem that viable. So that lineup is always going to appear to be a lot more homogenous. Like, even though a few black and brown acts have done, for example, runs of gigs at The Stand, which are like Edinburgh, Glasgow and Newcastle, there may not be an available roster of not only comics that aesthetically please the diverse uh, you know, the need for diversity, but also the experience. Cause I think one of the issues as well is that industrial competence kind of affects it as well, in that even when there have been we may have been successful black acts or who may have had the opportunity to maybe transcend to television, unless you've got developers and producers who understand that voice and know how to nurture it, then it means there's only so far it can be taken, which is why obviously the duties of Writing a sitcom on me was so big because it wasn't like I could go to a producer. who Was like, well, I worked on this sitcom before. Yeah. Because it's been two decades, so basically, short of a generation, there hadn't been anyone who'd be able to develop it. So, I think for me, then, as I say, as I was saying, is that um, I felt like that was the best way I would be able to make that conversation yeah. take place. It was just 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 by example, because what it meant was what what you find is that within industry, people are very risk adverse as well, yeah, of and course. people and, and human beings are habitual creatures as well. Yeah. So getting them to kind of break those habits can be very difficult so by able to demonstrate that what it meant is that people were like okay well Dane's there so we can look at what our closest thing to Dane is and begin to kind of promote that so that's how the landscape began to change and even working with at the time I was with UTC and what had happened is it wasn't just having an agent but also an agent that was able to work towards honing your voice and crystallizing that into something there wasn't really a lot of that around and you know what happened after that was UTC had had most of the prolific black comics or burgeoning black comics in this country were like, Well, we're seeing what you did with the Dane because of what you do for us. And so you fast forward now, and their roster includes like Mo Gilligan, who's like a multi award winning uh, comic. successful.
3: Saying, we've got our black act. It's, yeah, yeah, because, it's now, because now it's like, now
2: it's, it's gone from we've got our black act to now that, you know, in order for us to be successful, we should have a black act because potentially
1: we could be looking at the next. Mo or Dane or Munya, like, you know, yeah. now. Well, I'd say it's plural. I, yeah. I mean, I know all of yeah. the, ma- the management agencies and I, I would say that when I have often gone back to look at their roster, it is so much more diverse than it was than when I began working yeah. in this industry, yeah. Yeah. Which, which has to be a good thing. It's the
3: same with, like, any minority community, but, you know, like, how many, you know, gay acts are about, like, oh, you've got a gay on, have you? Like, like they're yeah. all doing the same thing, like, because like yeah. they're all black accidents having I mean I suppose what I started with a question I just love I don't know if I'm surmising really pathetically, but almost like you had blinkers on learnt yes. your craft did yeah, your thing exactly. you weren't flagging things and then once you're in the belly of the beast you've you've used your skill your kudos your power and then go well yeah I'm not now then going to make a show that's white palatable I'm going to make exactly, pass the end you.
2: Test. but also but also because you know as well Laurie I felt like for me It was understanding. I mean, I just, I was, I think I was aware of the world and its demographics outside of comedy. Mm. And I think that was the issue as well, is that I was aware of the structure of comedy and how it, just basically how things were both on on a class basis and just socioeconomically. So it's kind of like knowing how to manipulate that. And I think one of these things where rather than, challenging the system it's really about just fortune kind of carving your own space in it anyway Yeah. so it was never for me it was like oh accept me accept me it was more of a question of like I don't really know who I am it's yeah, going to yeah. be up for you guys to kind of catch up anyway yeah. but you, do, you, you do raise a good point where you said like you know do you have to kind of grandstand and I'd say you don't necessarily have to grandstand by you know postulating and having to shout people yeah. you by you demonstrating your efficacy as a comedian and just doing yeah, your yeah, job yeah. very well you can't necessarily be denied and the way that works is rather than entrusting or being at the behest of the powers that be just your presence there and your aesthetic attracts people that look like you yeah that's really the issue we talk about the diversity being an issue but it's more the representation it's much easier for people to do something once they've seen it can be done yeah because obviously I had predecessors that gone to Edinburgh and these people are still amazing comedians but I think their experiences they would kind of been like well you know Edinburgh isn't really for us and it wasn't like I brushed it aside and was like nah like they're wrong and blah blah it was more like I'm aware that it's it's more about not individualizing the experience and me being like, I'm also a brick in that wall. So it's kind of like yeah, yeah. now I can do, now I can do my thing in Edinburgh with the windows plaudits. Then it meant that now there's an agency where, you know, Mo can now have a BAFTA winning show as well because yeah, yeah, yeah. just by like continuing to work, the palette becomes broader, the competency becomes broader kind of thing as well. So I look at it in terms of like, you know, before I, I never used to like certain types of cuisine and then once I'm something yeah. then I'm more
1: prepared to try other things as well. And, Almost- I just do think the one, the one differentiation that we could just establish for our listeners is television and media compared to live comedy – there's definitely some big differences, right? Massively, yeah. yeah. Live comedy scene when you go to, and no disrespect to anyone from Hull or uh, certain smaller places that aren't quite as cosmopolitan as London. Nothing wrong with Hull, by the way, guys. But the, the palette that you just described, Dane, may be slightly more restricted and therefore make... Booking a very diverse bill, a fear for a yeah. booker, right? In, initially, yeah. initially,
2: it, it, it definitely is, and and I think that's where obligation comes in. That's where mm. you um you take upon yourself to plant a flag. And when I say obligation, it's not necessarily a social obligation or a moral one. I think it's more of prove it to yourself. Like I think you know when you like, for example, when I looked at the communities that I admired. I wouldn't look at someone like Dave Chappelle or Chris Rock and wonder if they would be successful in Hull. I would look at them and be like, that is a comedian that would be successful. And someone who has an understanding Mm -hmm. of comedy would be able to understand some aspect of their narrative. So, for example, in me going to Hull, I understand that, like, you know, like I said, it's more about the relationship or the rapport I build with that audience, whereby I'm like, even if I see a guy that looks like, you know, he's got the green tattoos and he's got Hull City tattooed on his arm and he's he's got the skinhead, he'll have an understanding of the world and most of the themes that I discuss. And so... There's always going to be kind of a commonality there. I feel like there's been a large media suggestion, which is that if people see something they're not necessarily used to, they can't, they won't be able to take it on board. And again, that's what I'm saying that's more, it comes from a more risk-adverse um, mm. industry. I mm. think social media has definitely changed that, whereby we can now get uh, statistical information in terms of what people are into, which is why you're seeing new things like, for example, uh, as we discussed before the podcast, you now have Natalie Portman playing Thor in a film because they are yeah. aware, because there was probably the supposition for so many years that women didn't read comic books or women weren't into gaming.
1: Watching Axel win BGT, or right?
2: Axel, yeah, Axel Blake winning Britain's Got Talent, for example, is that people would think maybe that aesthetic wouldn't necessarily, work. or Nabil Abdul Rashid being a finalist on um, Britain's yeah, Got Talent yeah, yeah. as well, where the presumption would be. But again, it's 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 more about the fact that because these guys have taken these opportunities to showcase themselves, the, all of the questions and all that discussion. It's kind of fast tracked, as opposed to having the polarized, intense discourse of being like, "change your lineup." It's more been like, "I've shown what I can do." Yeah. So there's no, there's no discussions that need to be had. So showing, it, so it, what's the word they say? They say show don't tell.
3: Yeah, of course. So that and that could anything- be one of the approaches. Comedy is so honest, and this is why that you know where we're getting really frustrated. And I feel like I don't know Edinburgh seems to be dissolving before our very eyes and its (laughs) significance. But it's because this industry kind of tendrils, and you covered it so well in Baymus, where there's a white middle class filter that's already decided what the black they want to promote is. You know, can you can we have more? I don't know. You know sequishers sort or of, whatever and I, I yeah. was developing a sitcom at the same time and it wasn't exactly the same thing I'm not going to wave my poor white flag but as a working class person working yeah. with very middle class people they're like oh can she be can and I'm like what working class
2: can she be a tear is she a bit promiscuous yeah, yeah, yeah. is she is she was, is she the way she speaks and, yeah. and people just want you to was, continue to assuage their own uh preconceptions and yeah. feed into that narrative
3: And it's really tough to know your own voice and then they yeah. can feel it through that and the thing is this is what, we, I was at Top Secret, funny enough, with Axel last night, and we were all talking and saying that, you know, it's the most honest thing in the world, funny. Absolutely,
2: yeah, if, yeah. If people are holding yeah, their sides and
3: there's a big noise when you drop a joke, guess what, you're funny. Yeah. And then you have these kind of, like, safe middle-class white acts that are posting their clips on socials, such a bitch, but, like, with their polite laughter. And I'm like, I wouldn't even post that that polite no, yeah, laughter. Exactly.
2: What's well, even, even a phenomenon of anti-comedy. This is what I oh. was speaking about as well, is that, You know, the privilege within middle classes is that they've even created a subgenre within comedy where because the normal people, the laity, the majority wouldn't find it funny. It's now been reimagined as anti-comedy or surrealist comedy, where it's like normally we would say that's just not funny. It's not funny. That's the thing is that I think with uh, comedy and it is for me, again, like yourself, I always regard it as the honest form of politics. It's the most honest discourse we can have as people and laughter is a universal language. So I think in terms of dealing with What's it... What's that
3: quote, the um, shortest distance? Laughter is yeah. the shortest distance there is to travel between two people, you
2: know. Yeah, yeah. It's because of that is... Uh, I think I feel you can definitely use it to address people. And I think the way to deal with it, as I said, is rather than trying to address the industry itself, address the people that really drive the industry. And that's the thing with all industries that you need to understand is that it is the either the purchasing demographic or the engaging demographic. Those are the people that matter. And I think by you just continuing to do your work to engage them, It'll get to the point where industry
1: isn't able to ignore you.
3: Yeah, the truth sings out. I think
1: it was a brilliant, brilliant question, okay, thank Laura. You. <laughs> thank you Stand for bringing up offline, it. Definitely. And, and one that I think we'll we'll hear people talk about for many years uh, to come, not necessarily just from this show. I just keep but, saying you know. yes
3: to gigs anyway. That's what I'm saying. Perfect. Say yes, yeah, that'll work. As um, um, you
1: get
2: more experience, you'll be you'll realise what gigs are worth your time and your effort, and which aren't worth it. And that's the thing with a lot of the early questions within comedy, whether it's about how to turn certain gigs or what do you do people don't The thing is that the 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 answers can only come from experience and actually yeah. doing the thing. So. Yeah, you'll work, like work it, and it and out. Us, yeah. Exactly, yeah, you'll work it out.
0: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you.
1: My question this week is different, but um, close to Laura's heart, Um, because I'm from... So my family are from Hackney, uh, Laura, uh, and as soon as I uh, hear your accent, I start to... Uh, lose the thing that I tried to have, you know, as I grew up and tried to get into television and be a media wanker, tried to talk a bit more, you know, posh, not very good at it, but, uh, you know, try to. Uh, and I was just thinking back, you know, about East London and, 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 and the, the East London-erati that has come in, mean, the list of names that have come out of East London, whether it's Beckham, Idris, Damon Albarn... Uh, Lily Allen, like, I mean, an unbelievable West list. London. She West, I'm sure she's East, no? She originally from, She no? wishes. <laughs> she wishes, yeah. <mate. laughs> she's a, uh, she's a, a
3: gonna, not any art club sort of yo-yo crowd. Who is, can right? I put
1: in? Who can we put There's a lot of people with Leona Lewis. Does Leona Lewis East London? Yeah, yeah she's Hackney. She's Hackney, Hackney, yeah, yeah, Hackney. Yeah, she is. Okay, yeah. anyway, lots of people come from East London. Yeah. And what makes East London Kano. so special? Kano, nice. Yeah, there's a lot of people. Oh, we could yeah, do a long grime, list. Yeah, grime, mm. itself really is. Grime, grime itself, really. Grime itself. Yeah, yeah. 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 Itself. But so what makes East London at East London is so special? Because clearly the world thinks it's pretty great, given that the most, one of the most long-running shows in the world is called East Enders.
3: Yeah, which another sort of... Oh, I mean, Enders. yeah. <laughs> but I mean, the thing is, do you know what, you know... Everyone has their own East London and it's always, you know, people are territorial. That's the thing about um, all prejudice and all racism. We're naturally territorial. We're naturally chauvinistic. We look at, you know, we get on a bus and have this split second decision of who we might sit next to when it's full. And it's based on all these immediate responses to people. And, you know, we are suspicious of newcomers and neighbours. And ultimately, we're so on top of each other in East London. We don't have time to stay racist or Prejudice for too long. We were like, no, nah, he's all right. He's all right, Mr. Ali, actually. And then before, you know, <laughs> do, you know, do you know what I mean? And, and you know, and so it, it all happens at such a pace. And, you know, I remember, you know, I'm, I'm 40, so born 81 and saw the 80s flight to Essex. And then, mm. you know, and so which was so my son has always been diverse. And, and you know, it's so funny. I was watching a saga of a, a Bengali man around the corner who'd employed two East, Eastern European guys to plaster and paint his wall and every day he was getting more angry every day he was
1: getting more <laughs> more. <laughs> love that and,
3: and in the end when it finally finished and because i'd sort of naturally seen the saga so plucked up the courage and i i did that he went he says, it's these Europeans, you can't trust them, he
2: says And I
3: just thought that, like, you know, you know, people that are bro- right, voting Brexit and, and these YouTubers, they're far, far away. They're reading this Daily Mail version of mm. diversity. And, you know, I've been picked up from Shoreditch House at 3 o'clock in the morning again by, a, a, you know, a Cockney wide boy, Bengali my age, can. Oh mate, it's all them, sort of hipsters now, isn't it? And we're having <laughs> cussing. And he had a mad, like, diverse, like, where his granddad was Irish and dealt with all of that. And we, we just all like, you know. But then something exciting happens, and and things are said. So then we're not scared of saying things. And something like grime is, you know, my husband was um, a head of music at a so college, and he's really like, a, you know, from a folk tradition. But he went. <gasps> Trap music is folk music because they all understood these refrains and they would nod and repeat because they know where it's coming from and there's this layer of history because it's all on top and, you know, Grime is so, you know, even thinking about casting something in East London is different from South. You boys are tidy. You've got gold teeth and good track suits and your trainers are on point. We're a little bit dusty in East, man. We're we're Mm. in here and Grime came from that and, you know, I just, like, uh, DEE is just like our ODB and he's just there in Forest Gate being a god and it's, just
2: like, you know. it's so true. It's so true. to the souls, I always say to people like because I listen to a lot of grime artists who and they were trying to explain, trying to find a similarity between like maybe New York being like the birthplace of hip hop and like uh, British kind of rap music or grime music as well. Yeah. And um, I think Lethal B was kind of saying that uh, East London's like Harlem, mm-hmm. and um, I thought some validity to it. But personally, I feel like East London's like Staten Island. Is that, <laughs> is that is that Shaolin? Because it's,
3: it's a bit rough. It's a friend. bit, rough.
2: and also they got a language unto their own. Yeah, like when well, it's like things like Shangduli behavior and like saying something's one away and stuff like that. Like yeah. it's a very, it's very different. And and even and even because obviously there is also the subculture of companies being based in East London as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Has also permeated into the narrative within them um, because like you had rap like you know Kano will drop it all day.
3: Where like when it's talking about customized canning Town. yeah, towers, yeah
2: and- Bruiser. Um, yeah. It's all like, so it, it's, um, yeah, it, it's it's a very it's a very unique culture. And also, I mean, technically, I'd say the rap that's now considered British rap music is, um, well, Graham was definitely the precursor to that. Yeah.
3: But then mm. you're getting into, you know, like Barney artists and Loyal Kana and, you know, yeah. even Akala, even a you know, obviously took it somewhere else. In Frick- Terra
2: yeah. Firma as well, who yeah, came from yeah, East yeah. London. Yeah,
3: but it's like this nice kind of, we can't avoid our influences. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like obviously, West Ham's gone. Um, West Ham Stadium's gone. Now, but you know where I live, walk down Green Street, and you're just all on top. You know, it's Caribbean, Asian, one pound fish. Yeah, yeah. Onions, do you know what I mean, it's just there's. It's, it's so textured and layered, and and you can't avoid it. And it's nice. You know what I mean? It's like
2: that's, you know, the, that's the main it, thing. Yeah, it's it's a true it was a true melting pot. It's, I think this is definitely an example of that. And, and and arguably, when we speak today about like the phenomena of gentrification. And the kind of where there was like the more working class factor Essex, almost like where that's been replaced by the influx of people from home counties and transplants, yeah, yeah, is um,
3: and they talk about their their own community, the community, I'm well in the hub of the own community, And you're like you'll destroy the community, just stop. Yeah. it's not yours, and, you know, I think South London and North London have a bit more space, they have a bit more green yeah. space, so you're so places like Brixton and Peckham could pop up that. Like that became defined by black culture yeah, very yeah. much in a different way that East London one doesn't so much. You know, what I mean, there's not like Hackney, I suppose, or Do you know, black areas or. Yeah. Like, they're sort of like, well, how's the north? I suppose isn't it really? Yeah. Well,
2: Brent, yeah, Brent is yeah, but even but yeah. even then, Brent as a as an area like northwest for a very long time, up until really because of grind music is why people started saying Northweezy. Yeah. So even they to making this, this the distinction, it didn't really exist for a long time. But yeah in terms of the, even the phenomenon of gentrification that kind of began in East London as well Yeah, it's still one of the only places that you know where you'd still see like blocks and a large part of like early council housing schemes and yeah. a lot of the Soviet architecture that you see that happens once you get to like Poplar and on the other side of the Black Hole Tunnel yeah, 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 and I yeah. definitely noticed that we have obviously a lot more green space and even when you look at the fair that came in like the, the turn of the century where there was a resurgence in f- literature and film that celebrated um, white working class a lot of that was East London based as well
3: yeah and we have that it's, and it is it's a working history but also those, these poor, I was a teacher for 10 years and you know almost you're better off being in a very poor borough because mm. stuff gets flooded in you know we've got the Theatre Royal that, that you know the Stratford Circus E15 yeah. that was a strong hub for especially the Grimes stuff my my brother used to work they used to produce all the um daughter graphics for the uh, Lord of the Mikes DVD so he was yeah, he made a lot of early of JME course. videos and um, knows all them boys so it was all like you know with Mo you know Mo Ali who made yeah. Shank and all the yeah, good pals and it was it was a real hub and so money got flooded in it was, and this is why we're missing these youth centres so mm. we had these spaces like little for Youth Centre and everything and um, like Kano and um, Gets have been doing them Newham talks on Instagram and they said this is what needs to come back, we need to get some yeah, yeah. money in and define it because these, these you know, the devil makes work for idle hands so a lot of people, they had these little spaces to have studio space and all that sort of stuff and get together and find stuff so that, that was a, a big part of it as well yeah. and like Idris being able to go and do, you know,
2: like training. Become an A-lister basically and that's this is the thing is that like what you see nowadays is that the investments or the monetary investments that you see in places like East London now seem like they're commercial investments but they're not community investments. No,
3: exactly. So you get, and you get everywhere.
2: yeah. So you get like the Westfield and Stratford and you get like new housing but that's not being that's not trying to cause it, or because obviously uh, that's one thing I know about East London is that like it's very densely populated and it's all at mm-hmm. top of it, especially when you go to like Places like, like East Ham and stuff like that, or like Tower Hamlets, just as a borough, yeah. just yeah. people on top of each other, and there's the new builds that you're seeing around these areas are not catering to providing affordable housing yeah. for these people. And and you know even even when you look at things like sport, like I think Newham Borough has most had the highest number of professional footballers yeah, 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 in, in the yeah, country yeah. and stuff. And, and again, it's like the deep part of that tradition and that culture has allowed for the hum, harmony of other cultures. That's really been much more effective as with youth centres as with the music. These have been much more effective um, tools in enhancing and nurturing multiculturalism and integration than any government scheme I've ever heard of.
3: Yeah. And I went to school out in Essex and I was like sort of told off of being too black and who are who do I think I'm and all that sort of thing. And you know, when Top Boy came out, Mm -hmm. I, I got to like... Every single person in Top Boy says well, go on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, everyone, yeah, yeah, everyone. Everyone says well, "Wagwan, well, And it's like yeah. it's this part like, that was just part of it, and we just standardly say "Wagwan." Well, I never even question. Yeah, it you don't enough. think about. Yeah, so, decontextualize. I have to remind that I'm just like a 40 year old white woman now, and you know, like you know what I mean. But it's yeah. like that's just, or you know, like certain things. Like, or most of my friends are black, you know, you get a Christian invite what time does it really start? <laughs>
2: <laughs> 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 <laughs>
1: <laughs>
3: I know it starts at 12, it starts at 3 and I'll get there at 11.30, well, come I'll, on now. By,
2: by yourself, cr- <laughs> bringing the crates with the DJ. <laughs> yeah, you
3: know? you know, these things and, and it's like where do you now play that anything? thing, but even going back to my question about diversity, the level in the playing field doesn't start at the point of entry, the level of playing field starts at the point of closing that gap from school to expose people to, to film, to arts, to the places so when it comes time to cross the threshold of the BBC they've done it for 10 years not like tick box this poor mm. person just because they've got a brown face do you know what I mean it's like no they should mm. have already had that investment these you know people from diverse backgrounds you know financial backgrounds
2: as well yeah, yeah. continuing from what well, I was saying as well in terms of the love that is London what would you say the all the general sentiment where there was almost. Do you remember, like, the, with with that kind of uh, emergence of like My Skin in the Streets and like Lily Allen, you had like um, acts like Just Jack and Kate Nash who almost oh. had an East London inflection yeah. when they were doing their music. It was Mockney, yeah, the, no, no, no. yeah, Mockney. That's it, Howard. Yeah, yeah. So. What was it? What was the sentiment amongst East Londoners when that was very trendy?
3: Yeah, I've always rated Lily Allen though, because West London's vibe. Do you know what I mean? I like mm. West London. I like you know because West. You know you can spot someone from West London. And they've got a vibe and everything. Yeah. It's all good. But yeah, that Kate Nash and do you remember after the riots and she was sweeping up and all that? And <laughs> yeah. I, I'm like, oh, they you so out for the sad place. And I thought, no, keep burning the fucking places down. Burn more. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's where East London's right. at. Like, don't then become the kind of moral. You know the, the moral arbiters of like what's okay. You know we, we should be we should be setting things on fire now. You Absolutely. know what I mean? Where we, this is this is visceral and, and people talk about looting and all those sorts of things that's happening. right. it's like these are kids that you know they've not even been politicized enough. They're angry, but the only thing they know is consumerism. They were stuck in this which which they were
2: taught which was taught. which they were taught at a time where you know the idea of ownership and through austerity wiped off anything. Near to any kind of wealth or opportunity, these kids kind of had. Yeah. And, yeah.
3: And, and and it's too easy. It's too easy with privilege to not understand. You know, I've seen teachers before go. God, my five year old could read better than this. Yeah. Well, that's you. They've been raised by you. Where is these, these kids coming to school? You don't even know what they've come to. Yeah. So you even get here at nine fifteen, and you want to put them in detention exactly. arrive. Exactly. Also,
2: these kids they can read better than that, but these kids are bilingual because they're speaking. Yeah. They're speaking. They can speak in Somali and they can also speak speak yeah. English and they're speaking in road as well. They they're, they're code yeah. switching at least five times a day in the playground uh, alone.
3: Can you imagine what your brain is doing? And then you know, even as a teacher, I never stood in front of that class thinking I deserved the respect because I didn't. I was so my teachers felt so alien to me, and I think that's what's done me well in comedy. As in, like I've got to give these kids a reason to listen to me. Why should they? You know exactly.
2: I mean? You know because it, because it's even it's even down to small things like just in terms of location where East London is, or like, whether you're going on like a twenty-one or the North Circular. They're very busy, and for a child's mind to f- kind of focus and yeah. be able to crystallize, like I say to people all the time, I don't think people realize just where you live somewhere where you hear sirens all the time. That's is fucking hard. It makes it hard yeah. to concentrate, your even as a kid. Yeah, yeah it doesn't mean your cortisol levels are always yeah. fucked. Your, your adrenaline's fucked because you're hearing these high frequency sounds that have effect on your complex anyway. Yeah. And you
3: know, spittings, you know, the, the yeah. production of saliva is a sign of stress. Mm. So, kids that spit a lot, you know, they're standing on shit. T- 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 that's, yeah. that's a real sign of stress. And there's lots of things with these kids. And, you know, this, you don't understand trauma and how it affects your body if you're living like that, if you're full. They don't yeah. understand. And, and also, you know, there was a big Offset report. It's like, no child should be told to give up the language of the home as they had at the threshold of the classroom, but they meant Spanish or French, you know. Mm. They didn't mean when you're correcting their English and what you're saying is don't talk how your aunties, your uncles and your friends talk. Mm. And that's huge because that's where their loyalties are. So, you know, it, I feel like I've gone way off topic. But No, I, we haven't gone way off topic.
1: I think <laughs> we have done a very good job yeah. of going east, east, east London yeah. and uh, <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. uh, forever may it remain. Yeah, uh, and Dane, listen, what a good episode this has been, man. Over to you, Five Final question. Absolutely. Beautiful, beautiful episode. Well, I
2: think, yeah, my question kind of covers uh, two important uh, threads you've brought up, Laura, which a uh, is about the uh, depiction and disposition of the white working class in the UK, uh, where comedy is concerned, and when we're having more overt conversations about diversity and representation. And obviously, you definitely mentioned the uh, large white flight that took place in the 80s towards Essex and stuff. So I guess my question is really, so just so I can get it from a genuine source, is there a conversation being had in terms of where the white working class consider themselves in the advent of you know so much political instability? Discussions about representation, what represents a Londoner in today's world, and just just in general, what... how you getting on? How you getting on? Yeah, yeah. yeah that's a great way to put it. I getting on. Yeah, I'm getting on.
3: Well, I'm getting on all right because I think it is adapt or die, isn't it? And I think that I think that there's a lot of I think there's a lot of threads here. I think there's a lot of toxic nostalgia. Mm. You know, I think that there's this sort of, oh, it used to be like this. Well, you know what? It ain't. You yeah. know what I mean anymore? Exactly.
2: And some and and sometimes eating Angel Delight and Smash wasn't good for you back then. It wasn't good for you. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't actually you know, good like, for you.
3: Like my, um, my Jamaican brother-in-law go, people go, oh, you used to be able to leave your doors open. Yeah, yeah and, and you know, nothing to
1: nick, mate. It's
3: like, it's like, so that's one aspect of it but it's so funny when you talk about any sort of diversity because it's like everyone wants to jump in like you know we had the abortion rights and then everyone's on Twitter going trans abortion rights okay we're just uh, can we just uh, uh, yeah 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 yeah, yeah, you know I mean it's like so if we talk about um uh race diversity there is part of it it's like uh, you know as in it you know people get in trouble when they said but Nish Kumar went to Oxford and came you know Nish Kumar's And it's like oh what people have kind of heart talked like this but no we're not saying that but it's like we know how strong the urban circuit is we know yeah. how strong the work the working man circuit is up north we know how strong the Essex yeah. afters work do you know what I mean so yeah. they're the ones killing rooms and destroying it and yet all of the and so whether you're black or white or whatever you're then watching television where you're watching it go on these panel shows you're like basically saying, people you're are saying, yeah you're exactly
2: you're saying it doesn't look like that
3: yeah, it's not. Yeah, they're not, like they're not a, so, the, so then I get frustrated when it's like the the diversity that's coming through. And like you say, it is changing. Mm. Mo is a real person, Mo Gilligan, you know, you're a real person. Tanya's a real person. Like, well, like yeah. They're people, people them, you know. I mean? Yeah, it's exactly. Like, do you know what I mean? And I think that that's the common thread. And, and most people just want to have a laugh. And I suppose it's about. Um, I suppose it's about struggle, isn't it? And, and, you know, I don't like the demonization of the working class. And I'm really talking uh, But about and underclass- that's, the,
2: that's, the, that's the point I wanted to say, because uh, in my last show, Chocolate Chip, last show I toured, I said, like, you know, it's so interesting because when people close their eyes and try to picture what they consider to be the quintessential racist or bigot, yeah. you'll be a white working class person. And I hasten to remind people, like I said, East London being a prime example of it, white working class people probably were the, mo- the first people who would have been interacting with and uh, receptive of the Windrush generation and yeah. of you know influxes of Albanians and Somalians and like I think mean, you look at something like top oh, everyone everyone's together like you know Asians and yeah. working class Asians where, where and really it's it's middle classes that actually make uh, legislation and make political decisions yeah. which actually cause these divisions but it's, it's just in a
3: much more insidious way like a light way a coded way which is a lot harder to deal with and and you know there's people that are third generation. You know, and I'm talking about the toothless underclass here, and I'm yeah. not, you know, that are suffering from county lines, influx of crack, third generation, you know, small villages not working. They have no model of success, they have no investment, yeah. and then they're demonized on and and on you know Jeremy Carr, which is obviously no longer existing. And it's like all of us need to stop decontextualizing things. We need to stop saying it's so easy what you're you're a success are you you're a success now, let's ignore all your privilege and you're a piece of shit are you and it's like we have to have there's so much context involved you know, mm. you know, I always say that awful thing when a kid goes from poor little fucker to little fucker. Oh, just a fucker. Do you know yeah, these, yeah. these, these kids are come from something and, you know, and, and schools are doing so much to counteract that, you know, and, and then schools are demonised. And, and-, and
2: they're being hampered with their opportunity to kind of do so in the first place because, yeah. you know, because this is the thing, it's it's a, it's the irony is, the classification we use as working class, despite the fact we've deprived these people of any economic or industrial opportunities for the last, two generations, like you said, yeah. parts of the parts of the country where, because for me, I I've I taken a trip to Leicester Crown Court in my early days of comedy due to some parking fines. <laughs> and uh, that's when I saw it. Yeah. I,
3: that's
2: when I saw it. When you it get more, sport
3: in London, yeah. can't you? Everyone's yeah, yeah. pretty much... In London, London
2: yeah, think. you have a cl- and you also have a close enough proximity to that people have, can work with those gig economies, orbital economies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah However, yeah. you see if you're from, like, in between Leicester and Birmingham, you see if you live in Derby and there's no more factories oh. around and... This is it's like it's like even when you see the like before I saw the snobbery when people talk about like reality shows like The Valleys or Geordie Shaw and it's like these people are so crass. Yeah, but let's say they wanted to go uni or they wanted to get a normal job, where the fuck they go? they're gonna work then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're a working-class person from Wales, the industry has died. Where is someone from Swansea going to go to realise the same financial and uh, opportunities as someone who's grown up in London and had access to further education?
3: And to hold them to a standard of ignorant, they're ignorant. What we want them to be, you know. You know, they're, they're ignorant by definition. They can't
1: like, like. Yeah, it's not a criticism, right? Yeah. It's yeah. not a criticism. It's a, it's an observation about yeah. someone's situation, right? Being ignorant, ignorant isn't always saying that someone should is not is wrong. Hateful. You yeah,
3: know, yeah. To, go to a standard, they, they they won't have they won't have um sophisticated language. They won't have you know developed compassion and capacity to understand other people's views. And yeah. that I'm not saying that's right, but it has to be contextualized. They can't just be demonized as this kind of. Well, oh. this is the thing. Well, the remember, and again, the same.
2: It's fascinating. The same. How I said the same thing about the elites. Remember, a lot of the sentiment towards these people was created by elites. Like Enoch Powell did the Rivers of Blood speech, or Kilroy Silk began the UKIP party, and Nigel Farage went to fucking. Dulwich um, College, like a big money college. And they know wh- what
3: they're doing. Yeah, they know exactly what they're doing. Up a hornet yeah. set you know off. what?
1: No, even if they didn't, they still did it. That's yeah. the thing. I yeah. often think sometimes I think we get a little bit m- too obsessed with motive. You know, like uh, the, the motive for, I don't think people are fucking evil geniuses as much as we'd like to no, suggest no, they are. No, no. I think they are just doing something. Nature creates things. that the, and, and the situation that's been created this last. Let's say decades, just to make it easier, in which you know a number of people, Farage, Johnson, Trump, created a thing where they made the the kind of people we're talking about, working class, of usually white people. Or no, not specifically, really. If we're honest,
3: majority, yeah, yeah. Majority, But in
1: America, when you go and look at the Trump numbers, there's a big percentage of them that aren't white. But that's that's right. Like, and you know, you look at where how they've been tricked to believe that their anger should be directed at a particular thing that, In reality, it should be directed at another thing. Actually, what they'd find is that a load of people way on another side of the political spectrum would have massive synergy with. And that's the most disgusting element to me. And why I am gradually, as I get older and love my child and my children and love my life and spend time with people like you and have nothing really to complain about, I still find myself wanting to fucking chin people like Farage, like genuine blood-boiling anger at the fact that what is your legacy gonna be? Just stirring shit.
3: Because they have contempt and disdain for these people. They're yeah. not sitting at the same tables and but what and they're limiting our choice to, they're limiting our ability to galvanize. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, the, the mad left woke I don't really exist. There's no. about four on Twitter. Yeah, you know, most can recognise that pronouns. You know, exactly. We're not, no, no one's that trigger happy. We, we we need to unite, and we're so divided, and it's exhausting. It is exhausting all of us.
2: Really, genderqueer aesthetics were always welcome within the oh. the working class because everyone watched Dame Medna and also yeah. and Paul O'Grady. And really, Panto. As Lily and, Savage and Panto, yeah. So yeah, a lot well,
1: of. Well,
3: it's a part of our all. It's part of our expression of repression. Yeah, exactly. To enjoy that dress up, to enjoy gender fluidity, and, and you know, it, like to the New Romantics, to David Bowie, these have always been the gods of the. You know, they want to. You know, you get on a train from Essex to Liverpool Street on a Friday night. Trust me, then boys are tarted up. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. It's, it's always been part of that. I,
1: I remember my. You know, it's slightly diverging it, but I remember my dad, God rest his soul, when you know, and it, my dad sold crap on Petticoat Lane Market for a big period Petticoat of his... Of, yeah, it was wild, man. That, silly, man. that was that a was back when That was, that was back one. when, no, my dad used to sell stuff. No, that was back when you could buy animals on Petticoat. It was just kind of <laughs> mental to think that you could go down there and I buy do, dogs. I by my
3: leather coat of sheepskins, dad. Yeah. <laughs> I
1: never one. But I remember something, uh, you know, in the later years of his life, which is he had this mechanic, right? Abdul, right? And his relationship with Abdul in this current era would be... Totally unaccepted by most people on that left side of things you're talking about. But you know what? Him and Abdul, as much as they traded uh, Jewish and Arabic slurs <laughs> at each other, they. Uh, you know what? I never probably. Abdul probably never knew what happened to my dad when he passed away, but Abdul probably missed one what happened to J- that bloke Jeff, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and I kind of always think back to that and go, God. Those people, you know, they were united, my dad and this guy. You know, they, they would sit. I would look forward to we were seeing him. more
3: alike than unalike. Right. That's and it. Language is disgraceful. And, you know, I just, you know, we used to go to white work, working men's club and the language that come out of people's mouth. But their sentiment, what they meant was always... Right pure and I think that we can sometimes confuse this sometimes you
2: know well because alien is again the powers that be it's alien to them because they are so used to being repressed and using subtext and and the silent treatment and another method of marginalization and which, microaggressions yeah. yeah whereas whereas amongst the working class what is seen as deplorable now that is how we would begin to rationalize and learn about one another like you know because it's like another maximum if you don't laugh you'll cry do you know what I mean so what we you,
3: you must know. You yeah. know, is that we know in the green room, or we know of each other. The stuff that we joke about is so rude and course, ridiculous. You know, yeah. You know, there's no holes barred last night where we're talking. You weren't going say to that, but it's how we love. It's how we go exactly. And and, and we know we know the sentiment. I, mean, I loved what you said. You opened this with kind of having to temper your accent and get that sort of industry voice on <laughs> yeah. it's almost like having to learn a love language it's so nice
1: yeah. when you can go ah oh, you know yeah. um... oh, and by the time I by the time I actually managed to get <laughs> yeah, some yeah. kind of yeah. get some kind of success actually i realised oh they actually prefer it when I sound like I'm from East London <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 uh, so I, I had to retrain myself but this has been Dane this has been one of my favourite episodes oh, for a I've while Laura's you. been an amazing guest Dane right mate so no, no doubt or surprised there at
2: all obviously we tried to get Laura in for a long time it's a pleasure seeing you and yeah, uh, uh, see, yeah. um, really want to make sure that we can continue to have our listeners follow your journey and enjoy your success. So please let us know where you can find out about your good works, past, present, and future. What
3: am I doing? When does this start? I'm playing Latitude Festival, which is like nice get one. Talking to, talking to the white middle classes. Um, nice one. <laughs> I'm swerving Edinburgh. I'm just going to check the lie of the land this year, and then um, yeah, I've got some nice things developing. Actually, I've been. I've, I'm a writer on Bad Education relaunch so that, lovely. Yeah. Yeah, oh, congratulations! Out. Great stuff. I've written on. Um, Spencer Jones do you think Deep Fakes so that's my work out there I'm um... I don't know if I'm allowed to say I was on eight out of ten countdown but I was so that's going to come out soon. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. yeah of course just you can say it. Yeah, yeah. So um, just all excited it's all moving in the right direction but
1: mostly
2: focused on the summer with my kids now so oh, good. Beautiful. There you go. See East London to the core you yeah, I've got a lot of work on but I've got to spend time with the kids do you know what I
1: mean? Yeah. yeah. You're gonna, yeah. You're gonna get one of, are you all getting those handkerchiefs that, you know, when you, the, and, the, and the string fest yeah, that's yeah. what East Londoners but, do on a holiday right? Yeah,
3: that's the one little jolly Dan to Margate. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: I'm you, mate, a a day in Margaret, all
1: the family. <laughs> oh, That makes me want to go and watch Only Falls and Horses. <laughs> so this is it.
3: out in Johnny uh, Boy's out <laughs> <outing. laughs> in it's, it's been great.
1: lovely. 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 lovely, lovely. Boys Thank love. Thanks for coming love, on. Love
3: love. love Take care.
1: You've been listening to Dame Baptiste Questions Everything, hosted by Dame Baptiste and myself, Howard Cohen. Our guest was Laura Smythe. You can follow Laura on Instagram at thatLauraSmythe. For more from Dane and myself, make sure you follow us on Instagram at danesnaptiste and at the Howard Cohen Please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a question for Dane, make sure you send us a DM on Instagram at DBQE Podcast and we could feature you in our next episode. Thanks for listening, guys, and remember question everything
0: insanity group